0: Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions, brought to you by Brady Ware & Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality.
1: And welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic. Rather than making recommendations because everyone's circumstances are different, we talk to subject matter experts about how they would recommend thinking about that decision. My name is Mike Blake and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware and Company, a full service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia, which is where we are recording today. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please also consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So, our topic today is cooperating with competitors, and this is a a, a ticklish topic. You know, we think of uh, of competitors in the marketplace, regardless of, of our industry. It could be public accounting, it could be advisory, it could be manufacturing cars, it could be um, uh, airlines. Uh, very few businesses are not in a competitive scenario in some case. And by the way, if you are in a business that isn't in one, please write me. I'd like to know what that is so I can then compete with you because that sounds great. Um, and, and and what I've learned over the last you know fifteen years or so that I, I've been in business is that you know some industries just can't get along. Like I, I years and years ago, I did a project for. Coca-Cola Enterprises and I was a contract there doing some financial analy- analysis and at the time you walk into their office and everything is Coca-Cola red and they got polar bears all over the place and bottles of Coke and 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 everything else and it's definitely rah-rah sort of company branding is, is at the forefront and if, if I did not do this but somebody else I, I knew did went off premises and then came back with a bag full of Taco Bell which is at the time was owned by PepsiCo. Now Yum Brands. I don't know if Pepsi's owned by them or not, but that was a big no-no. Like even even having food from the competing beverage was not a fireable offense. But boy, you got the Coca-Cola stink eye and then some when you did that. Um, I imagine there was a time when you had that kind of rivalry at Microsoft and, and Apple. I don't think that's the case today. And you know we think of of competition as something that frankly we have to destroy that they are enemies, that they are opposing us, that they are taking food out of our mouths, and that they they're, are something to be feared and, and, and disliked. Um, but I think in modern business, that's not necessarily always the case. And, and you see industries where, in certain cases, competitors do band together. The auto industry, as competitive as they are, they do band together in, in in order to promote safety in their industry. They band together to make sure that regulations aren't too constraining. Uh, in the airline industry, I think I think the same thing. I think the same thing is true. <clears throat> um, you see partnerships all over the place where maybe companies are cross selling each other's services. And maybe I'll go back to airlines. They're they're actually a really good example too because they do code sharing. So. You know, my family and I are going to take a trip to uh, Scandinavia later this year, and you know, our plane ticket says Delta, but you know, at some point we're probably going to be put on an SAS plane or a Norwegian airplane or something. We don't know that, but because those are competitors that are that are cooperating, right? That's the kind of customer experience that we that, that we're going to have, and because they cooperate, we don't have to get out at Paris and then walk the rest of the way to Copenhagen, which would be a, a real pain in the neck. And so I wanted to explore this because in, in my particular practice, and I don't know if I'm exceptional in either direction or right about the average, but I can tell you in my practice and business valuation, about somewhere between 20 and 30% of my business actually comes from competing firms. Um, and, and I don't necessarily know that, that I'm exceptional, but on the off chance that it is exceptional in some way, that means that there's a lesson to learn. I want to talk about what if. What if your competitors aren't your mortal enemies? What if you're not just always locked in a a life and death struggle with your competitors? And and not in a way where you're forming a cartel. I mean, our firm is not big enough. We're not gonna cartel anything. Um, But there's a a long, there's a a big gap between cartel and cutthroat, winner-take-all competition. And so that's what I want to talk about today because if you're not thinking about competitors in terms of if there's a potential partnership and a potential cooperation opportunity, you may be leaving money on the table. You may be living business value on the table. And maybe also you're leading a more stressful life than you have to. And so uh, I brought in a guest today that I think this this will be a little bit of a different conversation because I'm going to be more of an active participant rather than an interviewer. But I brought in my friend Tom Brooks today, uh, who is a competitor with whom that I co- I cooperate quite a bit. Um, Tom is a director in the Valuation and Litigation Services Group of Wyndham Brandon PC, a mid-sized certified public accounting firm in Atlanta. I think about the same size as Brady Ware. I haven't measured it, but I get the sense we're about roughly the same size. Uh, Tom has over 20 years of experience handling valuation and litigation support matters. He specializes in guiding clients with the valuation of their businesses, business interests and intangible assets for mergers and acquisitions, gift and estate planning, financial and tax reporting, charitable giving, strategic planning, shareholder disputes, commercial litigation, and marital dissolution. Tom has worked with businesses of all sizes. Including startup companies to larger companies with over $1 billion in revenues. He is effective at communicating complex valuation issues and collaborating with his clients and building successful relationships. Prior to joining Wyndham Brandon, he was a senior manager in the valuation practice of a leading tax and advisory firm. As a licensed CPA in Georgia, accredited in business valuation, and as an accredited senior appraiser, Tom often speaks for organizations such as the Atlanta National Association for Certified Valuation Analysts, or NACFA. That has got to be the the weirdest, most awkward acronym in the history of mankind, and I'm a NACFA member, so I can speak to that internally. The Georgia Society of Certified Public Accountants and Atlanta Alumni of Retired Revenue Agents. He has also presented for Georgia Tech and LaGrange College accounting students and at Merrill Lynch seminars, and Tom and I used to work together, and he won't admit this, but I actually worked for him, um, technically at least. 15 years ago, and we have tracked each other's careers and have been good friends ever since. Um, and it's a terrific pleasure to have Tom Brooks in the program. Tom, thanks for coming on. No, it's great to be on, Mike. I appreciate it. Uh,
0: that's quite an intro, and I think it makes me sound a little better than I really am. And uh, yeah, you really didn't work for me, Mike. That wasn't <laughs> really the case.
1: <laughs> so, you see, he, I and mean, he's only saying that so that so that if I do something bad, he doesn't want the blame for it. Um so talk to us a little bit about your practice in Wyndham Brand. How big is that practice, generally speaking? I'm not looking for a number of terms or anything. And and what do you focus on within that practice? Yeah, our practice highlights a lot of what you highlighted in my
0: bio, which is a mouthful. Um, but traditional business valuation of privately held entities um, – Number of reasons that clients may perform those. Um, you've probably talked about those a lot on your, on your program and on the podcast here, but we do a lot of work around exit planning for our clients, management planning, which can be very broad to keeping a scorecard. Um, you know, what's my business worth? Why am I? the investments that I'm making, the growth that I'm achieving, why is that happening and how does that impact value? Uh, we do a lot of work in the, as, as a firm, Wyndham-Brandon, we've got a large high net worth practice. So we do a lot of work with our high net worth clients that uh, have their businesses and they may be looking at transition planning. How do we transition the business to the next generation? If there's no next generation, what's the next um you know, how do we exit? Um, and then financial reporting um, and, and for accounting purposes, valuation for um, purchase price allocations, goodwill impairment, stock compensation. And then finally, probably the last piece to our puzzle in terms of our jigsaw puzzle of our practice would be um, litigation support in terms of commercial litigation cases and where valuation comes into play in those. Um, our practice has been uh, in existence now for 18 months. Um, and we have, um, within a, we, we, we practice as a litigation and valuation group together. Um, we've got two partners and a senior manager in that group. Um, so I will, I will say that I've been announced as a new principal in the firm, Mike. Oh, congratulations.
1: (laughs) We heard it here first.
0: (laughs) So it's a great, uh, it's been a good, uh, uh, we've had a good, very successful start in the 18 months that I've been. That is
1: Great. That, that is great to hear. I know that was kind of the plan when you joined, but I know you never take anything for granted. Um, and that, that, that road to principle can be a bumpy one too. So we'll, we'll amend that bio. You are a principal now at Wyndham Brandon, your excellency. (laughs) Oh, don't, don't, don't go there, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so you have chosen I think, in your career, really, to be pretty open about competing, about cooperating with competing firms, not just ours, but others. Um, You know, we, we don't need to be exclusive. So, but why is that? Why do you have that that outlook and that philosophy?
0: I think it all comes back to, and this may hit, this may be a recurring theme this afternoon. It comes back to trust. I mean, it's not, um you know, I'm not an open book that you, no matter who I sit down with in terms of my competitors. um, But, you know, I'm not afraid to, to ask questions when you develop that level of trust with somebody to say, you know, am I handling this client situation right? And it's not like we're sitting here sharing our Rolodex of client names and revealing that. It's talking more about issues that we may face as practitioners. And again, I'm sure these are topics that you've talked about. If we were to talk about technical topics and valuation, you and I could have two, they could be two very different approaches and they may not be, or they could be similar. So, so much of our In the career field of evaluation, frequently it's said that, you know, it may be more, more science or more art than science rather. And so why wouldn't you, in my case, you know, I think it's just kind of how I'm wired as well. Why wouldn't you open yourself up and be trustworthy of, of some other folks potentially? Again, it's not everybody, but those that over time you develop a relationship like that with, um, you've just got to develop that high level of trust before you can get to where you're going to kind of um, be a friendly, friendly competitor.
1: You know, and I'll interject here. I think another another ingredient to that is ego. I think in the valuation profession, more than most other areas of accounting, ego Ego is more prominent and more pronounced, right? And we both Agreed. know practitioners that. What other other faults they have? Healthy self-esteem is not one of them, right? <laughs> right, and 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 uh, and I do think that our profession sometimes encourages or discourages that. I think our profession is sometimes a little bit more water coolery, you know. N- nobody, nobody is either a genie No, nobody is either sort of uh, is good or maybe good in a certain area, but but we tend to put people in the bucket they're either genius or an idiot right not learning not trending whatever right right um and i think i think part of the willingness to cooperate is a willingness to be vulnerable right and say look i don't know everything about this right i don't we do some estate and gift tax work but you do 10 times more work there and and that's okay i'm 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 willing to say look I don't think I need to necessarily give up the engagement, but I do need to sort of phone a friend,
0: (laughs) right? No, and And I've, like you, I've got other, and you and I have probably, yes, talked about issues like that. And there've been issues that I've raised around technology that I've phoned you about. And I have other, um, former coworkers and now competitors that again, have very good relationships with the same thing. You referenced the gift and estate, they'll call and say, Hey, I'm dealing with this issue. I don't deal with it that often. Can you, You know, usually it's most 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 of the time, even you or somebody else are going to call and say, here's the way I'm thinking about it. You know, they're not asking you to solve their problem. They're asking you to help them and you may take them in a completely different direction. But that does speak to that vulnerability to be willing to listen and ask somebody and say, "Okay, there's a better way to do it than the way I'm thinking about it. And I want to go find the right way because that's the best answer for your client.
1: Yeah, and, and, and you learn something, right? right. And uh, one question you have to ask later. You know, and you mentioned something I hadn't thought of, but I think I think I think is a really important point. You know, my father was in this industry too, but he had two jobs over the course of his career. I think I'm on number eight now and I've got at least seventeen or eighteen years of work left in me, give or take health. So will this be my last job? I don't know. I think we all hope it is. That's why I'm a director, but but we're now building networks of people that we worked with in our generation and subsequent generations much more rapidly than I think generations before us, aren't we? And that probably contributes to this, doesn't it? I think that's the case. Um, you know, And again, this is not a uh, – there's no, I guess, you
0: know, poll data to back it up. But I think you're right. I think especially on – and I can't speak to any other platform other than the accounting firms. That's where I've spent most of my career. But you do at times get that hesitancy and sense, and maybe it is from some of the, the older partners or the generation before us. And it's not to say all of them are that way, but there can be a very strong hesitancy. Well, Tom, you want to refer our client that we can't do work for to another accounting firm? And that is one reason I would say our success has been great at Wyndham-Brandon because my partners aren't thinking that way. Um, you know, it's it just, but I've seen it throughout life in terms of my career. And I've seen it, um, uh, other practitioners will tell me the same thing that they've experienced some of those same, uh, roadblocks when you do want to have this healthy, friendly, competitive, uh, uh, you know, nature to your relationship.
1: Well, and we've had, we, you and I have had that because the firm I used to work for before Brady Ware was of that mind. Was that just referring stuff to another CPA firm? That was just not on the table. right? And it killed me that I had to basically tell you that because I didn't want you to refer stuff thinking there was stuff coming back because it would not. Right. And it did not. Um, so that was a very liberating thing about sort of planting my flag. And I think now that, that other firm has sort of started to loosen up a little bit in terms of sharing. But you know, that, that, can be, that can be a real issue. And I'll admit, maybe 10 years ago, I might have had 10, 12 years ago, I might have had that same mindset. You just got to hold on to every client. Like they're the last life vest in the right. Titanic. Right. But then you know, it's with, with us, especially, you know, the, we can get into something what I call evaluation Vietnam where. You think you're getting into something that's going to turn out fine. And then you get in and you're not, and it's not. And maybe, and you look back, you think, boy, I'm not sure I should have taken that on. Right. But halfway through, you're kind of committed. You just got to figure it out. And you learn that, you know, I don't know that I even did myself a favor by taking every, you know, if, if Tom were here doing this, he'd have been done three weeks ago. Right. And here I am, here I am tearing my hair out at 2 a.m. trying to figure out this problem. And I think there's a maturity element to that.
0: <laughs> now, time, uh, you know, teaches you a lot in, in, in any form of no matter what your career choice is. I believe that, especially when you listen to business owners and entrepreneurs, um, you know, we've all failed probably in some capacity somewhere. And, and it's how do you learn from that? And again, it's taking the ego out of it and, um, being willing to learn and being open, you know, it's not, it's, I think it's along the same lines. It's, you know, when we're told no or, you know, we're, we don't win an assignment, you know, probably when I first started, that would have hurt me a lot more than it does now. You know, you have to lose some engagements to figure some things out and to learn a little bit more about how people view you in the marketplace. And, um, so I, I think it just goes to some humility along the way too, that you, that you learn and you make some mistakes and, um, being willing to learn from those and, and it, you know, so again, as, as you age and mature in your, in your business career, hopefully you become more open to, to these types of concepts.
1: And I think it helps to have, I think it helps to have definition in terms of what you just know, you just know in your heart of hearts, you're not very good at doing. I've been very open with you and, and anybody who will listen. I don't do litigation. I'm not very good at it. And I'm not, I'm not willing or interested to make the investment required to become even mediocre at it. <laughs> so right. and being a mediocre expert witness, that's a bad day being, being deposed when you, when you know you're not that great. Um, and you know, that, that is maturity, but I think it's also liberating. And I think in a certain way to it, it actually helps your brand, right? I don't, I don't get a lot of litigation referrals anymore either now because the market is known like, you know, Blake is just not going to do it. um, but I think that also then set that tends to lead to more projects that you are good at being sent your way. And I think the market respects you more when you'll turn them down. Right.
0: I agree. I mean, the, you know, what you and I do is, is professional services. This could, this isn't just about being a, a CPA and for, you know, listeners out there, especially in the professional services arena. This is really what it gets back to. It's your firm's reputation. And some people may have their own firm. So the name may go, your your individual name may go with the firm name. But at the end of the day, as a practicing, you know, evaluation specialist at Wyndham Brannan, It's both my reputation and the firm's reputation every day that are on the line. And, and that's a risk that I have to manage as a practice leader and with firm leadership when you have questions about, you know, engagements that you may or may not want to take on. But like you said, it's kind of one of those. Maybe I would have been better off, but thinking ahead and as you encounter, you know, something is going to be considered maybe outside your comfort zone. Doesn't mean that we don't take all assignments outside our comfort zone because sometimes it relates to something we've done before and you just got to stretch yourself and learn. Like you said earlier in the podcast. And that's what we, you know, many times that's the way we. We, we take new task on or responsibilities as we learn. And some of it for us is on the job. And, you know, we don't have all the answers, as you said, but sometimes it's, it's almost like, uh, you know, phone a friend, right? I mean, that's what you just talked about. And, and sometimes those things will help you kind of navigate those challenging situations, but have, again, having those open relationships that you can do that, uh, you know, to use your word, it's liberating to be able to know that, Hey, in the event that I'm struggling with something, I've got a lifeline out there to to help me, you know, make sure that I'm doing the right thing for my client.
1: So I like to revisit the trust discussion because I think so much of it ultimately comes down to that. And I, I there are two areas I want to explore. One is what are some of those dimensions of trust? It, it it's obvious part of it is gonna be just are you competent? Right. Um you're going I'm gonna give you the fine China, don't drop it, please. But there are kind of other elements of trust that belong there too, right? So talk a little bit about kind of what those trust features look like.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the things in, in thinking about what we were going to talk about today as I went through in my head. Um, it's kind of the, like you said, the opposite potentially of trust, um, you know, there's Like you, you get to see a lot of work product come across your desk of your competitors, whether it be just that one of your partners is asking you to review something because they had a valuation done by an outside firm, or maybe it's the, on the accounting side that our audit team needs something reviewed and I'm looking at it. So the first element is, is kind of that competency. Um, you know, it, it, it's just kind of that, um, does the expert that we may send this out to, do they have the competency, and will they be taken care of? Um, the way I think of it is, you know, as well as, will my client or the firm's client be taken care of as well as they would have been taken care of by me? So, it really does come down to that trust. Some of it is just years and years. In my case, it's years. I mean, we I think have trusted each other a lot longer probably than just the ten, fifteen years and we departed the firm that we work with together. But, you know, it, it's also developed over time. Um, and so it's I think it's a time so so there's a time element to it because you gotta get to know the person. I think you have to also understand and I think maybe this is an elevate an element of trust is are they motivated to do the right thing? Um, you know, again, I think that's something that you've gotta gauge. There's a high level of in this, in doing this, you know, there's nothing that we can grab at and grasp. There's nothing tangible. All this is intangible. And there's risk associated with that, you know, when when you do that, when you're putting yourself out there uh, and potentially, um, you know, handing another name off. So I, I think it's that, you know, again, at the end of the day, these are all elements of trust. but But really, that is the key element at the end of the day to kind of that you got to come back to.
1: And the second part I want to ask about trust is, you know, trust between the two direct participants, such as between you and me is great, but it's not enough, right? We also have to have organizational trust. And um, unless you have another announcement to make, you're not the managing partner of your firm. Nope. And I'm not the managing partner of my firm. And there's no danger of that announcement ever being made. I can promise you that. This side Um, as well. (laughs) um, Um. so, you know, in our case, in the case of many people, we, we also had to build, help build organizational trust, right?
0: Absolutely. That was. You know, when you and I first landed at between Brady Ware and Wyndham Brandon was one of the first things that we did because our, our moves kind of coincided. You're a with month each apart, other, yeah, was we got together for breakfast with our managing partners and some of our other key senior partners. And, you know, you just did begin to develop that rapport and that openness. And, you know, again, those lines of communication, it, maybe this is the, the word I was looking for in the prior answer, but transparency. Um, and again, it doesn't mean that we're coming with a client roster list and going, here's ours, where's your here's your. And, and we're just exchanging names like Like that. Like lineup cards. Right. right. Client confidentiality still trumps all this and, 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 precedes all this. So that's the utmost important thing that we have is to maintain. But again, in that confidence, that's where your trust comes in. So, um, but it does take, in our case, where you're with a larger firm, you know, organizationally, you've got to have that confidence because many times for you and I, it's not just, something that comes across my desk that comes through uh, say a referral to me from one of my outside sources outside the firm it's something inside the firm so my partners have to trust that again that, and have that confidence that Mike Blake and Brady Ware are going to take care of them and so you're right organizational trust on top of the individual you know relational trust that exists is 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 really critical as well
1: and take care of them and and not try to exploit The opportunity too,
0: right? Yeah, that, that, and that, right, that becomes an underlying element. And I think that's goes back to when we talk about some of the distrust that occurs within many firms and across probably every professional service line there is that you would have in terms of thinking about sending a, a potential client out to a competitor is right. What? are they going to poach them completely or are they going to be looking to market other service lines in there? And you've got to have those conversations and they're just really open and direct. Those were not, you know, I I would share when we had ours, you know, those were not difficult conversations. It was just, you know, well, here's how we conduct ourselves. And, you know, as it's, it's, um, I guess it's kind of like dating, uh, you know, I mean, it's kind of like we were just, you know, figuring each other out, so to speak. And, um, you know, and in our case, it's, it's worked, it's worked really well that, you know, again, between us and the relationship we already had and then our partners, it's, it's just gone, you know, where we're able to do that.
1: So sometimes there can be speed bumps in a partnership, right? And, and these are, these are by definition, they're sensitive relationships. There's no, you know, no matter how long the trust is, there's always, there always can be a speed bump. And to my mind, I'm always kind of worried that, Oh boy. <laughs> you what know, did Tom just, do now? Well, no, anybody, right? <laughs> right. No. Um, and, and I will, I will tell you that, you know, I, I kind of tell our people, right? This, this is a Wyndham brand referral. This has got to be reddest of red carpets on this one. Cause I don't want to go back and tell, I don't want to face him right. <laughs> if it's not great. Um, but you know, there, there can be speed bumps and, you know, how, how do you, what, what do you think is the best way to kind of handle those speed bumps so that they don't jeopardize the broader relationship?
0: I think it goes back to what we just kind of just articulated and spoke about in our last answer was that, you know, it's got to be open lines of communication and transparency. You know, you're right. I mean, even if it's a, even if I had never handed that client off and I never, you know, I could have done the work for whatever reason, um, you know, client clients are complex in terms of the issues that we face and the demands that we face the time whether it be you know the 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 demands are just numerous and that's you know it's what we sign up for we love the the serving our clients but that hiccup could have occurred with anybody so so i think it's just important to know that you know again take the ego out of it none of us are are perfect none of us has you know again these are intangible issues that we're dealing with typically with clients um you know you can, the technical issues yes but but relational this is all soft skills these aren't hard tangible skills so i think it's you know again having that open line of communication and transparency and if there was a hiccup you know i think first you know come up with an action plan uh to solve the problem if 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 you're the firm that received kind of the the referral and then yeah, obviously, if there was something that was significant enough, you need to reach back out across the aisle to the firm that, 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 that referred the work to you. Say, Hey, here's what happened. Here's what we did. And, you know, if there is anything potentially that they can help you with to get over that hump, then that's it. I mean, the, the client has to come first and their, their interests have to come first and serving them and making sure you get to the finish line. So, you know, I, I think it's just what has to happen to do that.
1: Now, um, one, area that is most common that leads to competitor cooperation in our industry is a conflict, right? Right. We can just get conflict. You know, I tried to send you a piece of work and you got conflicted out of it. I know that I know right. that was very painful, right. but you have to do the right thing for an existing client, right? So um but you know talk to the to our audience, you know, what what is a what does a conflict look like? Is a conflict always black and white or the sort of shades of gray where you have to make a judgment call? What is that conflict thought process look like?
0: Yeah, I think there can be shades of gray. I mean, some are some are very obvious. Some, um, You know, let's just, you know, to use an example, litigation that, you know, if we were working for the plaintiff in some capacity, obviously, we're probably hired by their legal counsel, and we've got an underlying client. But if we are, you know, have been on, and then you look at the defendant and go, oh, well, they're an audit client of Wyndham-Brandon, we're not going to take that on. I mean, that's just a conflict for us. It's not something that we we we're, where we would want to go. And and I think there's a direct conflict, anyways. Um, you know, some of them can be a little more gray. I mean, this is more of an independence issue that we face as well. It's not gray, but I'll highlight it. So, for our auditors, or audit clients that have financial reporting issues that that have valuation embedded in them, Wyndham Brandon can't do that that valuation work. So. We call it independence, but it's really a conflict. We, we can't produce a valuation then that one of my audit or that our audit teams goes and audits and signs off on it because we're all under the same house of wind and brand. And so those are obvious. Um, you know, I think sometimes it can be, um, you know, maybe it's going back to the litigation scenario to paint just kind of a gray issue is you may not have a direct or, or a perceived direct conflict, but it may be that. In this case, again, let's just say we were we were potentially representing the plaintiff. The defendant and somehow isn't a client of Wyndham Brannon, but they're close to Wyndham Brannon. They have maybe refer some work to Wyndham Brannon. That's just not a position potentially. Again, it's not it's not that we couldn't take the assignment, but you also may not take it because you'd say, well, that's just not a position we want to put ourselves in with that defendant that. You know the spigot. You know may turn off, or it may create, as you described before, one of those speed bumps that we really don't want to have to navigate. That speed bump.
1: There are enough speed bumps by accident. You don't want to go making them on your own, right? right exactly. Well said. Yeah. So and you know another another conflict I run into on a, on occasion, which is not strictly one, but but I get very uncomfortable with, and usually will try to to, to sidestep it. Is maybe it's not a litigation, but but a partner buyout, right? So the client will come to us and say I want to buy out my partner or the their their service partner will come to me and say we have a client that want to buy out the partner can we do an appraisal? I said, well we could do an appraisal and strictly speaking there's no conflict there, right? But let me ask you this question. If if we come up with an answer that the client doesn't like, right, is it going to make them mad at you? I said yes. I said I don't I don't think we want to do this then, right? Right. That's not a conflict with a capital C. Right. but it's a conflict with a small c with a lot of underlines underneath it.
0: Yeah, it's kind of managing your firm risk at the end of the day. Um, you know, it, it comes back to just like I said, just assessing is that a place or a client relationship that we want to be in and take on, you know? I uh you know, sometimes you know, I, I laugh at it. You, you you turn something away or what you perceive is to do the right thing in some capacity and, or you lose an engagement for whatever reason. Well, you know, probably within, it may not be 24 hours, but within a week, there's a better opportunity that turns around that, that you like better than the last one that, that had some hair on it. So.
1: <laughs> yeah. That, 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 that's called m- maturity. I like <laughs> to think that in exchange for my gray hair and two arthritic ankles, <laughs> I get some benefit out of that. And, and you know, in fact, to that point. I can think of a few assignments which I wish I had not taken. I can't think of a single one that I turned down and I wish I'd hung on to. Right. Not a single one. Oh, right. man, it could never happen. Right. So talk about the, this sort of cooperation. Um, in your mind, do you think you need to have sort of a written agreement? Does everything have to be kind of a papered over joint venture? Or can can these relationships be on be sustained on an informal basis? I think it's, uh,
0: I think they can. I think it's situational dependent. So we'll go with it depends, which is always a, a good answer, right? <laughs> so, um, Jim Hitchin uh, would not I, like that I, that's one, right? right? <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, I, I think there's, you know, I, I can think back to, you know, 20 years ago, um, at a prior firm where I had gone to work with, um, you know, and I was a manager at that time, but was brought on to help. Kind of manage a valuation practice day to day that all, wasn't all the way up to a day to day practice. And before I got there, there were two the two tax partners. They had a a retainer agreement with one of the more nationally known uh, valuation experts and you know it was the same thing like we talked about earlier hey i got this question or can you review this for us and that was padded you know with an agreement and a retainer that you know the he just the the expert so to speak just you know stayed out in front of and um, i've had it as well where you know it, it's not necessarily padded you just you know hey I need another set of eyes to, to see this um, almost like a QC capacity um, helping me review a project um, and there's no agreement in place, but a bill comes and we pay it and, and that is what it is. And then, you know, then there's a larger, you know, then, then you may have a larger project um, maybe where it's more of a subcontracting nature. Maybe you're, you know, in a spot that you can't produce the all the volume of work um, but at the same time, You certainly can, can manage it with, if, if you're able to subcontract that. And that probably gets memorialized with an agreement. Um, you know, with, with rates and everything else and, you know, protective language. Yes. We're not going to solicit your client, those types of things. So, you know, maybe a little bit of a long answer, but it depends in each three of those scenarios or two of the three. You had an agreement. The other one you don't, I think some of it then comes back to that trust level uh, as well. Again, we'll keep harping on that um, as to the nature of that relationship that you have, whether you need to have it written or not. And then it's really up to both um, firms or individuals to figure out how do we cement that.
1: So one area that some of our listeners are probably thinking about is Boy, I'm not sure I like this. When, com- when competitors start to, to cooperate, that sounds like they're forming some kind of cartel, right? This is, this is how OPEC got started or, or, or whatnot. Uh but you know, in most cases that, that really isn't what, what happens when, when we do this, we're not price fixing <laughs> or anything no. like that, are we? No, not at all. It's, um, Hey, here's a, here's an opportunity.
0: Um, you know, there's no, um, you know, again, there's no expected, well, I'm going to get this back in return or no price fixing. It, it, it's what's best for our clients. So, you know, there's there's just no, um, you know, I'd say illicit concepts in the background, lurking in the background that's in either of our minds and what we've done. And I would never associate myself with somebody with that that would have that, um, you know, to me, the world's too big and there's too many valuation assignments out there that even though sometimes, you know, you're going, oh, man, Wish I had another one or whatever, but there, there's plenty of opportunities for all of us to be fishing in the same pond. The pond is actually really big and I actually think it's really deep. So, you know, many times for the people even that I know and meet with as competitors, I can say that I'm very friendly with. It's frequent that I don't come up against them even in, you know, whether it's a true RFP or there's an opportunity and somebody's reaching out to two or three valuation firms. You know, now it's, it's – I don't come across them. So, you know, it's, it's just the concept, I think, of you – know, again, I'll repeat it, doing the right thing for your client and – who is that most trusted source then that you need to send them to for the situation you have. And I wouldn't expect you to send me every assignment. You may say, this isn't right for Tom and Wyndham Brandon. It's not something that, you know, doesn't fit Tom's, Tom's, you know, bailiwick on what he does. So, and I, I know that you've got other folks that you work with or, you know, that you spend time with in terms of opportunities. So that's not, that's not offensive to me.
1: Right. We're seeing other people. Right. Yes. (laughs) And we know that we don't have each other's varsity jacket or, Or a letter <laughs> ring or anything like that, right? I don't have my class ring. <laughs> so I want to draw this out. We've talked a lot about the valuation world, but I want to draw this out a little bit sort of higher level. So, you know, one thing I've observed and I'm curious about, about your experience is that one way where, where competitors may cooperate is on an exit, right? If, if you're a company that, you know, you're getting to that point where you're looking for a sale. It, or, or for a strategic expansion either way right one of the most logical um, targets is going to be a competitor because they understand your business they probably understand you right you may have some relationship with them and you know down the road that may be a very important value building relationship have you seen something similar?
0: I can't say that I've necessarily seen it, but what I hear, you know, from the business owners I talk to, and I think you talked about it as well, and, and I'm not going to say that it's generational, but I am amazed that when you do talk to clients and again, business owners, entrepreneurs, how much they do know and how much time they do spend frequently with their competitors. And it's, I don't think it's always just at a, at a conference, like an industry conference. And maybe that is where a lot of these conversations occur, but, but I do get the impression that, you know, again, it's not sharing, you know, everything about whether it be their, their cost structure, if they're a manufacturing client, well, we've got this technology now in place, and this is setting us apart. You're not going to share that, but very much many, I find uh, my clients do know a lot about their competitors uh, or if they are looking at an exit, why certain competitors, they would prefer them
1: to be a potential buyer versus others. Um. So I want to be respectful of your time here. We're going to wrap things up, but I do have a couple of other questions. If we can kind of sum up here ingredients that go into a good co- cooperative competitor relationship. We talked about trust. That's clearly one. Are there one or two other ingredients you can think of that that help make relationships like that be mutually lucrative and sustainable? Well, I think I've used – the other word that I use is transparency and communication would probably be the
0: other two words that I think if you summed it up. Um, again, transparency, to repeat, it isn't just I'm going to tell you everything about my practice. It's here's a little bit about my practice. Here's about our clients' Um, and obviously when it comes to a specific referral, yes, you're going to probably have a name at that point, but even when you're meeting with people, whether it be over lunch or, um, you know, coffee or a meeting at somebody's office, that's a competitor. Again, you've got to, if you want to, I'll say kind of be on the receiving end, probably then you need to be again, talking openly about your own business. Um, and then, so, so that's transparency. And then that open line of communication is just, you know, Be willing to, the other word, I guess we'd say for it is vulnerable, as you talked about. Um, and so that, that just kind of just is a, I think you've got to get comfortable with that. And if you're not, then you may struggle getting to that point and, and you're the folks that you're trying to be more friendly with may pick up on that. But, um, you know, the other thing that I've said frequently is, um, that I'm willing to be the first one to extend the olive branch in a case. Cause you know, uh, you don't know how it's going to go. You know, many times, probably, I don't know if anybody else's lunches are like mine, but you know, sometimes it just becomes more of a social lunch. You have a great lunch, but you know, you kind of go, well, that was great. And I really got to know somebody and I think we could work together, but does the phone ever ring for the work? Right. So, you know, and that, I think that happens to all of us. Um, but now it becomes, how do you become more purposeful? And then, uh, you know, translating that to a relationship so it's kind of that same thing you know be willing to be vulnerable and extend that olive branch to be the first one because sometimes it's well are they in the boat with me or out i have one foot in are we all in the boat so you know that that comfort level of knowing that i could extend it one time and i may not ever get you know anything that comes back to me or you know an, an opportunity that that i see come my way
1: and, and you know I, I, Alongside that that notion of vulnerability, I think it's also differentiation and defining yourself, yep. right? I think if if you're in a business where you truly feel or think that it's important that you handle every opportunity that comes through, no matter what, it's 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 much harder to find grounds for cooperating with a competitor, right? Right? And maybe that's right, maybe that's wrong for your practice or mine. It's it's not right. Um but on the other hand, if 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 you tend towards more specialization, as as I certainly believe, I'm a big fan of Rod Burkert uh in, in this regard. He's a strong advocate of specialization and differentiating yourself that way, then the opportunities for cooperation I think become much more obvious. Right. And they become much more natural. Agree. Right. This is in the wrong box. I know Tom's got this box, so we're just going to do this. And it really just sort of becomes a system. You know, right. I don't even have to
0: think about it. Right. No, absolutely. It's, you know, you got to know your own strengths and weaknesses. Um, and again, maybe we'll call that maturity. Um, it does take some time to, to figure that out. And as you're building a practice, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, we're always refining that, but, um, it just is that, you know, that, that time teaches you a lot. Um, And I still have a lot to learn.
1: And and I and I will say this: a way that I benefit from from cooperating with competitors is one of my one of my marketing points that I use with with prospects is that we get about twenty five percent of our referrals from our competitors. Right.
0: That's a good point. I mean, we've. Touched on it. I think it suggests that you know what you're doing and that you 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 are qualified because in our world, Mike, as you know, and again, maybe some of your listeners know in, in your podcast is that, you know, you don't have to have any credentials to sign a valuation report. Nope. There's nothing that you have to do. I mean, you could just hang a shingle and you could be Mr. Hey, I can appraise your business and it's not all about the credentials behind your name. That's part of it. So that's what, that's the first thing you potentially want to look at or consider when you're thinking about looking at a friendly competitor. But then it becomes that reputation and do they have the ability to do it? And so, yeah, if you can sit there and tell your prospects, yeah, well, 25, 30% of my work comes from my competitors that you know shines a pretty bright light on you i think and sets the bar pretty high for you uh, as that specialist in that space
1: i found that i mean especially since i don't do litigation they don't even care about the letters after my name do right you, i mean they, they don't know what they are right. sometimes they ask and they get bored about halfway through um but that part you know because when your competitors are validating you cuz ostensibly you know how to eva- how to evaluate me much right. better than a prospect will, that carries a lot of weight well and that's right. I've kind of figured out some math and I don't know if this
0: is this is right, but you know, I've probably reviewed several hundred appraisals of other firms that I get to see their work. So again, you begin <laughs> to lot. get to see you get to see what your competitors and what their work product looks like, and so you can begin to begin to in your mind go, okay, just even from a technical perspective. I can trust them or I can't trust them or are they doing some things technically that you go, I, I couldn't agree with or sign off on. And I don't want our client to have to, uh, you know, potentially get to a wrong answer because a client, because their provider's not doing the right thing technically right. for them.
1: So uh, we're coming up to the end of our time here, but can people contact you if they have a question about, about, you know, coopetition or cooperating with a competitor?
0: sure always be glad to, to to chat with folks or email uh, correspondence um, email is t b r o k s so t brooks at Wyndham, windham w i n d h a m as in mary brannon B-R-A-N as in nancy n as in nancy uh, o n dot .com and direct dial 6785102748 at the office
1: All right, and there you have it. That's going to wrap it up for today's program on cooperating with competitors. I'd like to thank my pal Tom Brooks very much for joining us and sharing his expertise with us today. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Bradyware and Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.